0: Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you that it promises blessing. We thank you for all the challenges we've encountered all the way through. We thank you for the way it speaks to us. We pray this evening that we would hold on to these words tightly, that they would continue to live in us, and we would continue to be known as your people. Amen. So, here we are at the end. And we started, didn't we, with uh, an peculiar quote uh, from a book, *The Four Men* by Hilaire Belloc, which promised that um, everything but Sussex was doomed, which is true. Um, i worked out the other day that my name is older; my surname is older than most of the villages around here. Anyway, um, but here is a picture. Here is a picture of a little bit of Sussex, and it's got a sunrise, and there's something to look forward to. There's something uh, coming. Uh, in uh, towards us we're not there yet that's one of the tensions if you like of the Christian life we're we're never quite there we never quite get there and the reason is that we're waiting for Jesus to come to us Uh, but we can live as people of hope and expectancy uh, rather than people of fear and of despair And that's really important. We sometimes need to allow these thoughts to go deeper into us than they really do. Jesus is coming. He's going to bring me in. And though the world is decrying us at the moment, when Jesus comes, they'll be clambering over each other to get in. It's important to hold on to those truths sometimes because we're often faced, aren't we, day to day, uh, with things which can knock us and take us off. And there's this off, off our course But there's this central truth that Jesus says here, I am coming. Um, Just a a quick sort of cultural uh, departure, if you like. But in The Lord of the Rings, uh, the final film and from the final book, um, Pippin is in a battle. It looks like it's all going to cave in and his world's going to collapse. And he says these words, I didn't think it would end like this way. End, says Gandalf. The journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we must all take. And the grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What, Gandalf, what? White shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. Picture of hope. Picture that actually is, it points to a future that is better than the situation we're in and hopefully will allow us, these words will allow us, to work and live uh, with hope in our hearts. Of what? Because we are awaiting these uh, things to come true. Let's get into the text. Please have your Bibles open in front of you, page uh, 1938. And it's um, actually, interestingly, the first thing that we see in the first few verses of chapter 22 is the continuing description of the city uh, the city uh, woman of Jerusalem, uh, how she appears as a temple, and um, it's carrying on from 21. And we kept it in here because its emphasis leads us to understand a bit more about the people of the city. All well and good. What's this? this city is one thing, but what are its people like? And any of you who've traveled, any of you who've gone to a, a new place, uh, will often make your impression based on the people who say they belong there. Um, my favourite, one of my favourite places, and you might find it curious, is Birmingham. Um, I remember getting off the train after somewhat ha- late, uh, four-hour um, long journey, and it arrived later than I had hoped. And I still had a long walk to find the hotel I was staying in. And the first person I walked past, not even on the same side of the street, uh, said to me, "Cheer up, mate. It might never happen." <laughs> Which was. <laughs> Which was, what a thing wonderful greeting. And then I remember that b- people from Birmingham speak off-key. And then I started into a spiral. But what a lovely place to go. Uh, what a, and you just thought, right, I've now decided on the basis of this one person, I like Birmingham. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> and I go there now and again. Anyway, but it's, it's about what, what are these people going to be like well let's let's have a look verse twenty one, one and 2 remind us they follow on this thought that the people are lit by the presence of God not just the father uh, but the son also who's the lamp they share this responsibility and there's this wonderful thing about the abiding presence of God bringing light but also this this guiding light of Christ in our lives we live with those two things now don't we we have those things now. The spirit lives in us and guides us, and so that is part of our experience, and that's important to hold on to. And then, mostly, these figures, these pictures in verse one and two, uh, draw heavily from Genesis—the the way that the garden uh, was formed. Uh, we see that the river, rather than bounding Eden, runs through the centre, and we see that it's crystal clear. Emphasizing its purity and its holiness, this is a this is a good place. This is a this is a place of something else uh, to which we are heading, and its source is directly from the throne. The life that this river gives, because we read that later on, the, the life that that river gives is from God Himself. It comes from the throne, it comes from the Father and the Son. It's what He wants to give us. The sources of life. We read that the throne is there, and it's interesting, isn't it, that throughout, the, throughout Revelation, we've gradually lost things. The altar, where did that go? Where did the bowls go? Where did the scrolls go? But the throne has remained. God's reign is supreme. God's reign continues. His authority is everlasting. He remains there. It's his place, and the throne is the picture of that. And we see also that there is a tree, curiously straddling this river, tree of life. And, and the tree is, is, is an important part of sort of Christian and Jewish understanding. Cursed of those who hang on a tree. And yet also in the middle of the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And here is the tree of life. Again, it's, it's part of uh, of what we're about it's what we're looking forward to and in in Jewish thought Proverbs 3 would identify the tree as a symbol of wisdom the quality of life here is is complete it's full there's no error there it it encompasses everything we could imagine and it's a life that is that has understanding Ironic, isn't it? That the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that got mankind into the mess and God's reward is the tree of wisdom, the way you would know for yourself just how good he is. Oh, that lovely um, contrast there. We read that there is fruit uh, there for every month. The tree uh, The tree in earlier on has got all sorts of fruit on it, but this tree bears fruit every month and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Its, its scope is is broad. It doesn't just include God's covenant people, it spreads to all nations that they might know uh, and be brought into this, uh, this, this relationship. And then lovely, verse 3 changes gear. Did you notice? Verse 3 in particular changes and tense. Up till now, everything we've been reading about has been in the past tense, and I saw, and there was. And then in verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. In fact, from here on in, there's a lot of will be's. That's important. So suddenly we're, we're, we're trying to, we're switching our focus to this picture and then its arrival and its impact on us. What, what will this be? What, how does this shape uh, the people? Well, we, we read that there will no longer be any curse. The curse of the fall broke relationships between people and God, between people and creation, and between people and other people. And those curses are broken. I can't, we can't imagine what that would be like. Can we? We cannot imagine what it would be like living in a creation that was not damaged and harmed and polluted and yet gave everything we needed. That for me is a far-off picture, and yet it's one the world is really in a state about. And we don't have to talk about. We don't even have to mention how interpersonal relationships ruin. Ruin our lives. When I was a kid, I read. I used to. I read a lot of comics. You should have spotted that by now. But there was a fabulous one in which there was a little moral quote at the end. It was called "Grew the Wanderer. And at the the end of "Grew the Wanderer, every week there would be a quote. And my favourite one was was that every day our lives are made a little bit worse by people who think they're a little bit better. (laughs) And I thought, that is a smart man. Why is he just drawing cartoons? But we 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 laugh, but we know that interpersonal relationships are not what they should be. And yet in this community, they're gonna be they're not shaped by that curse. They're shaped by God's will and his intent. And that's the key, isn't it? That actually, as we come to it a bit later, our relationship with God is is filled, is is, is fulfilled. We are meaning relationship with meaningful relationship with God. So it's a wonderful picture and of a serene and holy future for which actually the average reader in the first century, you know, wrote Greco-Roman world. This would have been marvellous. And because the persecution and the difficulties they faced were perhaps more present in their lives than in ours, perhaps this would have risen up in them a, a, a greater courage, a greater sense of belonging, a greater sense of hope than, than us 2,000 years later, where that still hasn't arrived. But it is coming. Jesus promises it will. In fact, it's quite interesting. That at the beginning of Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 2, he talks about, I am coming... And there's a sort of sense of, yeah, general, yeah, I'm on my way. But by the end of 20, by 22, there's a sense of immediacy. I'm coming soon. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Jesus senses the time is coming by the end of the book, by the end of the vision. Even Jesus' perspective has shifted a little. He's aware of more going on than we are. So what do we see? Well, we see that there is a better future. Uh, we see that actually the situation you're in is not the end, and we've talked about that before. Uh, we see that, that actually the people who are oppressing me are not as big and important as the person who gives life. Remember, Jesus talked about, don't fear those who can take your life, fear the one who can take your soul. And we see that the, those people have their names written in a book. And so what did these people become? What will they be? Well, let's have a look. They're described in lots of different ways. We see that the throne is there and that they are described, these people are described as his servants and they will face, they will see God face to face and his name will be on their foreheads. And we have a picture of a priestly community. Um, That may work for you or that may work for you. With a sense of a group of people who belong to God, for whom worship and its life are really important. So I want to just explore a little bit about those around us. We we could, if you like, sort of think this priestly community, one day, yes, one day, we will be clothed in white. We've read that. We will be gathered around the throne. We will be worshipping and serving God. And it's a a fascinating uh, picture. And it's great that people want to embody that. But we also have to remember that we live in the everyday and so it needs to take shape in us in ways that make sense to some of the people around us. And we need to sometimes accept that too, that the world around us isn't this, it's more like that. And sometimes it's not as, it's not as nice as that, is it? So let's have a look. These three little uh, sections about this group of people, God's uh, priestly people, this priestly community that are going to live there. Uh, we see that they've got the name on God of God on their foreheads. and. Um, it, it's an important form because it's using the idea of Aaron being the priest in Exodus. Aaron's turban had a little plaque, gold plaque on upon which was written God's name. So this is about his his, um, his worship of him let, rather than his ownership of you. Yes? So it's about God is the centre of my thinking. God is the centre of how I live rather than God looks after me whatever I do. And it's an important attitude to sort of work into that. I see that he represented God, and so he was there to sort of be, uh, uh, um, speak as God would speak, and and to do the things that God would have him do as his servant, rather than the other way, which is, well, God looks after me, and God's my servant. We come across that theology very often. Okay, we're reading different books. (laughs) We also see that they are, as I've already alluded, a priestly people serving God, and, and look at how John, for the second time, falls to his feet and worships at the angel. In verse 8, when I had heard and seen these things, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. Do you notice that? How many times do you get into circumstances and there's some kind of um, solution that you didn't expect? You, you prayed, we asked for God's help. Uh, And the solution comes, and we end up fixated a bit on the solution rather than the God who provided it. That's important. It can happen sometimes. We say, ah, well, the church was wonderful then. We say, well, God prompted them to be, because on on our own, we're not that good. I'm not, you know, just collectively, not individually. But So there's a sense that John has kind of, tipped off a little bit, and the angel himself reminds him to worship God. There's a key here. this priestly people aren't to get distracted by the things around, but they're to worship uh, God himself, not not ideas on the side. And we see that these peoples have their robes have been washed. They're clean. They've been made ready to be here. They're they're equipped to serve, like uh, Joshua in the book of Zechariah, when the devil accuses him. And God says, no, it's all right, I'm putting a robe on him. He's clean, equipped and cleaned to serve. So there is worshipful living amongst this group of people. They live to worship and serve God in their lives. But that's because God is their focus. That's because God is their focus. We see that they have blessed living. They will see God face to face. There's only two people, I think, in, who've individually seen God face-to-face, Jacob in Genesis 32 and Moses in Exodus 33, whom God would talk to as a man speaks with his friend. Isn't it that, that is one of the most compelling thoughts in Scripture, isn't it? I don't know how many of you have ever been to a reunion. You go to a reunion and you have, you have to explain why there's more of this and less of that. But the people remember you. And you start talking about things as though it was yesterday. And you're remembering the things and you've shared these things. And the relationship, although it's separated perhaps by distance and time, is close and deep. And that's the kind of relationship that we want, isn't it? Abraham, God's friend. What a title that is. But that's, what God, that's, that's what's coming here, that's the, that's the blessed living, is that there are people who come live in his presence. And they're refreshed by the things he has given them. They, they have the right to come to the tree of life and be refreshed if they wish to. Who wouldn't? But they would wish to. It's on their own. They have the freedom to come and ask God, how can I, you know, to be, I want more, I want to be part of this even more. We read that they're protected from evil because nothing evil can get in, no, nothing sinful, is, everything's kept outside. At the end of 21 and then halfway through chapter 22, we're reminded, outside are the dogs, the magic uh, practices, magic arts, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters. They're protected from, from the sin of the world. It's not going to happen to them anymore. And remember that the community that were first reading this were surrounded by all of those things. The first seven letters were about those things. Colossians, Corinthians, bring up that, that, that powerful thought about the powers that are at work. We find to sort of undermine them, undermine the gospel and draw them away from God. And we've, we've, we've looked at those and we're reminded of them. But to the first readers, it's very important. To us, we need to remember How important it was too. And they have this experience of the grace of God. Right at the end, verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. They are people, I was mentioning this morning, but people who had experienced God's grace. Not just know about Him, but have had some. In, in some significant change and in, I'm not talking about encounters necessarily but they just know that God is at work on us and I know that God is interested in me and working on me so these people are blessed in lots of ways, they're blessed because their relationship is there, they're blessed because they're protected from evil, they're blessed because they're refreshed by God himself through this, through this river and they've experienced that grace in their life here the next thing about this, this community of people, these priests, is that they're hopeful people. Hopeful people. Um, I mean, it's come up before, but I wonder if you've ever met somebody who's actually got no hope, <laughs> gone to the church, what's the point? Uh, or you've asked people for advice or, or, or gone to somebody for counsel and they've said, nah, it's not going to happen. That's terrible, isn't it? But the community of God's people are supposed to be Hopeful. They're supposed to have, they've got hope about them. And what's coming for them? Well, they will reign. Well, that's pretty good. They will reign. All of these things are couched in the future, aren't they? They will. Not because of them, but because of God. They're no longer victims. The world's going to be reversed. And they will become rulers. They will fulfil that, that, that. Genesis' mandate of being God's representatives on earth. And they will complete creation with him. They will be there living in his creation as he intended. The intriguing thing, they also live in the light of the prophecy. The word of God is important to them. They're steered and led by God's words. They've put their trust in it. They've put their trust in the things that God has written for us to know. That it guides them. God's word guides them. The things they've read, they've meditated on, they've, they've, they've taught, they've made part of their, not just their being, but their mindset, the way they look at the world. And it helps inform the way they live. And that's important because we've got this really curious verse 11, haven't we? Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who's vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. The community of God's people, this priestly community, have learned to live in a world that is not right. They have come through places and situations and relationships that are not of God. This isn't a comment about predestination. Revelation doesn't touch that at all. But it is how the world is. And this priestly community know what it is to live in a world that persists in sin and continues to be vile and yet holds on to what is right and holds on to what is holy, what it is to be called by God, what it is to be set apart by God. And then these people, how many times has Jesus said it, I'm coming soon? Well, we're expectant people. One day, Jesus will sort this out. One day, Jesus will sort this out. One day, he's coming. And we have to live with that, don't we? Because the, because the ridicule causes us to live in fear. The threat, of, the threat of, be, sort of what the world might say other than that one day can cause us to live in fear. And actually, we're to be the people who we say, well, one day, Jesus is coming. We're expecting that. And, of course, the world has seen it go wrong. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses keep shifting their dates according to whatever suits them. Um, But one day he is coming, and everyone will see, everyone will know, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, one day. And I suppose this, this community of priests is a little bit like us, isn't it? We live in those things. We live with, for, for worship. We, some of us know blessing, and, and we certainly should be living in hope and expectancy. As you, some of you know, a lot of you know, I'm, I'm off on a trip, and I'll be preparing for that trip in lots of different ways. I'll be working out how to drive on the proper side of the road, apparently. <laughs> I'll be learning about currency, customs. The Canadians tend to drop the word a at the end of every sentence. I don't know why, but they do. They pronounce things differently. There's all sorts of little things about being somewhere else that you just have to be ready for. But we're heading for the eternal city, and there are lots of things there that we can be getting ready for too. There are lots of things that we could be preparing ourselves for, not just so that we fit in, but that people can see the reality of it taking shape in us now. If you were going to a foreign country, you'd start probably you're not the generation that just says it louder and slower are you when you're in a foreign country some nervous laughter there but but if we're preparing to go somewhere unfamiliar we prepare we get ready don't we we think about the language the customs the way that what's the expectancy what are the relationships going to be like what are the sorts of things that will be happening and we allow that to shape us for a bit and what i suggest to you is when we read revelation 22 we allow this to shape us Because from verse 3, it's all about who we will be. And if you've read promises about who you will be, I want to see how much of it I can be. And I want to be somebody who lives in hope, knows God's blessing, and makes God the focus of my life. I want us all to be. We all want to be. And we just have to have the courage, like the early church, to do so. Because we heard it from them. We saw it demonstrated by them we've received it from them. And we've been blessed, therefore, by them. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, just th- we just thank you for your words. Thank you for these promises. We thank you for the generations of generations, hundreds of thousands of believers who've held to them and thank you that their example is a blessing to us. Holy Spirit, pray that you would come amongst us and remind us, shape us, form us, encourage us. Help us to leave behind those things we don't, the things we don't need. And help us to make our priority the things of heaven. that we might show people its reality. Father, we pray that we would live in the light of your promises day by day. Amen.